Welcome to Bible Over Brews, deep thoughts for men over time and text. I'm coming at you, Aaron Crude Juice for Verk, and I've got Dave. And I've got Gumby. Hey, what's happening? Keith will be joining us very soon. We are broadcasting live Gold Horn Brewery. Right now. So if you're watching this broadcast, this is happening right now. It is. I'm eating this burger in real time. That's right. It's kind of a hangout night, but here's the fun part. We're going to listen to Dave LaGuardia, who's going to give us an excellent presentation on social justice. And I know Gumby and I are waiting with bated breath. Mm-hmm. You can move that closer. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Does that look good? That was great. All right. So we're starting our night out right now with Evil Spirits Schwarzbier. Unlike a stout or a porter, the black lager is brewed to be much lighter in body, with a smooth, crisp finish and light notes of chocolate and malt, making it a perfect pal- palatio. I'm sorry, patio beer. I can read. <laughs> it's a 5.6 ABV. Gents? Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on. Sorry about that. <laughs> It is nice. It is dark, but I will say it's light. Yeah. It's very smooth. Real smooth. Yeah. 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 It's a very light, like an easier drinking. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does have a, a, a slight, uh, a slight chocolatey note to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that, but it's crisp. That hint of malt. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> so, Dave, what have you, what have you been doing? In, in terms of my class, or oh no no, in, just in, in life. life. Yeah, we just we like to start out with okay. a very general conversation. Yeah, I got three kids. Um, I'm a coach. I coach soccer, uh, and I I teach um, theology at a Jesuit school, which is an order of Catholic priests. Um, and my specific course is Christian social justice. Um, and then I'm involved in a variety of, a variety of clubs uh, there. Uh, yeah, so That's pretty, awesome. pretty busy getting out in the parks here as much as I can. Knocking down trees? Knocking down trees, yard work, you know. We have a good history. He's also, he was also my daughter's and many of our friends' kids' coach for softball. So That's awesome. A lot of good memories there. It's, uh, he, he's also my sponsor to the Catholic Church and my, my kid's godfather. Just all yep. one family tonight. All right? connected, yep. Yep. It's it's one connected that evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when Keith gets here, we're going to find out. It's going to be kind of like the Kevin Bacon game. We're going to find out how Keith is connected to Dave LaGuardia. Hmm. There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. It's got to be. Oh, he's Catholic, so. There's one. I feel kind of left and out. And Christian. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. I do feel kind of left out in that area. Well, you know, whenever you're ready. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's what we call an open platform. <laughs> well, and I probably said it before, years back when I was on that, this show, but I used to use an uh, interview with Thich Nhat Hanh, Tibet, or I'm sorry, Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Um, and at one point, it's an interview in a Catholic magazine. And uh, the interviewer says, so, you know, asks Thich Nhat Hanh, should all, you know, the, the, the audience become Buddhist? And Thich Nhat Hanh says, we have more than enough Buddhists. He says, I just want to help you, help the people who read this magazine be happier and well-practicing Catholics. So 
Mm. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just want, you know, whatever traditions we're in, you know, live well. Um, you know, at the, I think across the board, at the core of Christian social justice is the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, and there's a, a great quote by Pope John Paul II, the righteous of all faiths contribute to building the kingdom of God. So oh, that's great. we're all in it together, you know. That's one of the things I loved about your book, which I'm sure we'll talk about and get to, but I am not God, is that immediately you start referencing right at the beginning other, I think it's in the forward actually, uh, other major religions, you know, kind of the way I grew up, that's kind of a no-no, mm-hmm. you know, so, and Keith is joining us now. Yeah, there he comes. Keith. Let's be kind of, kind of like cheers. Well, go, Keith. <laughs> we got you a beer. <gasps> oh my gosh. Are we live? We, we are, are live. Oh, cool. Hey. Hey, hey. Dave, LaGuardia. Keith. Nice to meet you. Good, Keith. Good to meet you. Not only are we live, we're broadcasting live. Oh, okay. So we're live on camera right now on Facebook, yeah. on YouTube, on Twitch. Intimidating. Yeah. Yeah, we had to go to. Uh, Don't feel any pressure. Don't sweat. We, 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 we had to get to mass because we were into this like Lego thing in the morning. Okay. And then I realized there was a 5.30 at the cathedral. And I was oh, like, oh, you can dump me out. So hopefully one of you can give me a ride home. Sure. <laughs> I can do that. Awesome. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been awkward if we were live and you guys said, no, nah, we can't give you a ride home. You're stuck here. <laughs> I mean, we'll tell you no after the show's over. <laughs> uh, there's this thing called Uber. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> so what do you think of the beer, Keith? <clears throat> oh, that's wonderful. This, I'm is, actually... this is Evil Spirits. Evil spirits. Yeah. I think oh. we may have had this one last time. I believe so. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's consistent. I don't think good. we would have passed up the stout. I mean, if there's, yeah. this is a stout, right? Actually, no. It's it's a dark lager. Oh. A Schwartz beer. Schwartz beer. That's right. Yeah. Wow. I mean. Is Schwartz be with you. We could have gone. I mean, I would have gone for the dark lager, but we could have gone either way. I mean, I feel like stout, you just like automatically go like, oh, they have a stout. You have to get it. But a dark lager, you could overlook it sometimes and then yeah. really miss out on something special like this. Yeah. Exactly. Very true. But it's good. It's crisp. It's got that, that nice, like, slightly nutty, chocolatey overtone. Yes. Yeah. You could mistake it for a stout. You which, definitely mm-hmm. could. Yeah. Until you say, I really feel that once you sip it, though, you, the, the lightness kind of gives it away. Yeah, I can see that. My wife only likes stout, stouts, so I could see really? sneaking this to her. Like, she likes beer that tastes like a dessert. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she only likes a little bit of it. So sometimes, like, there was one place where I accidentally got, like, a giant stout. Like, it was one of those really, I can't even describe them, like, a giant can. And she was like, oh, I just wanted that much. And so <laughs> I'm sitting here nursing this giant stout with, like, 12% ABV and just totally trashed on our family vacation. But, you know, that's another matter. But I feel like I could I sneak stories. this to her and and she would have drunk a non-stout. And then she would have been like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die because it's not a stout but she wouldn't know how could you <laughs> but i wouldn't be that mean it's like a guinness, it's like a guinness without as being as bitter yeah yeah it does have a little guinness yeah. character yeah, it's like, yeah. like, like guinness. they sprinkle a little on there <laughs> it, it's always a go-to for me mm-hmm. i almost always have it in my fridge yeah which I then set out for 15 minutes so it gets the right temperature. <laughs> don't want everybody getting hissy fit. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know if I could finish this burger live. <laughs> Is that good, huh? But I got to do it. It's like you're rushing it because you're recording, but then you're like, oh, I'm going to get the burps on a podcast, and that's just awkward. 
Well, their food is so good here, honestly. And we're not saying this because they're having us here. Mm -mm. It honestly is good here. We are not saying that because they're sponsoring us. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I, I could be disappearing at some point because I'd be ordering that food. It looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can if you plan. Yeah. Yeah. We plan on each of us slipping away to grab more beers and such. Except Dave. Dave has to talk a lot, right? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I I, I I basically did the talk. It took what about three minutes with Aaron, <laughs> and it actually connected. Oh. And then I'm like, that never happens. It was perfect too. So it was, like, yeah. it was the most perfect summary in history. Yeah. And now we have to write a song. It'll be the ode to the perfect summary of history. Right. <laughs> we'll find the tangents. Trust That's us. right. <laughs> but was, just because I got it right once, I always tell my students, this might be the semester the wheels fall off. So, you know, it may, this, today it may, the wheels could fall off, you know, and yeah. So, the humility. Yeah. <laughs> I like to just keep the expectations low, you know. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, my, my only grievance about tonight is the fact that I'm cutting weight uh, to fight in uh, three weeks, so I, I can't indulge in some of the beautiful, heavier foods here. What discipline, man. It's such good food. I almost envy you. I have to. Yeah, don't. You're enjoying yourself far more than I am. <laughs> so do fighters ever like be like, oh, I just need to eat a lot more because I want to get to the next one up? Ironically, that has happened. Okay, okay. Because I was just saying, I feel like it's always like someone who's got a whole back. We actually had a fighter <laughs> the last time we went out, and uh, he weighed in light. And so it was funny. Uh, they were like, okay, go eat something and come back. <laughs> <laughs> That has happened, and it did happen to us on our last trip. Mm. I wish that was me. So far, every <laughs> single time, I ju- went just at the right. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened once we hit 30. <laughs> right. So if you go too high, do you get your butt kicked by somebody else, or you just not make it? No, you either have to go back out and jog a couple miles. Oh, and, man, that's rough. I mean, they could take some in. of your purse, right, if they, the other fighter agrees This is to tournaments. It? Tournaments, there's no purse. Uh-huh. But there is a nice, really big belt. Because gotcha. for like really a really nice good food. burger, I would just take my chance to get my butt kicked by a big heavy guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. You might feel that one in the morning. <laughs> and there's like... The way these guys kick, man. Yeah, there's, there's six of us fighters going up there, too. So, uh, yeah. Like, we're, we're representing hard this year. <laughs> yeah. hmm. So, it's fun. It's fun. It's be great. This is the first time that two of the trainers are fighting, too. Because Ooh. so far, uh, Crew Russ and I, uh, each time we've gone up, we've been just the trainers cornering everybody. Well, this time we're also fighting. So mm. it should be a fun time. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dave, sir, social justice. 101. 101. We hear, the, we hear these terms like social justice mm-hmm. warrior and weekend social justice warrior. And, you know, what? so do these terms actually mean anything? And what is social justice? And what's the, is there a history to it? Is this just a catchphrase? I guess we need these things spelled out for us because I literally have three people that asked me what on earth that was when I told them that we were hosting that, that subject. Yeah. So, uh, I guess just to answer that, and then maybe I can talk about the class. Um, and it is truly, you know, like you probably would get a variety of answers, you know, depending on 
who you talk to. Um, if you're just talking about kind of defining justice, though, um, there's a, a story that is often kind of told um, that there's a, a town built on the bend in a river, and uh, the kids are out in the field playing, and they see uh, three bodies floating down the river. Uh, there's a variety of ways the story's told, but the kids kind of get the, 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 the adults, and they, they rescue these three bodies. Okay. And, you know, one has died, um, one is ill or injured, and one is a child. And so they take someone, they find someone to take care of the child. You know, they nurse the ill, injured person back to health, and they bury the one that's died. And, you know, without a second thought, they respond to the need uh, generously. Um, next day, three more bodies. And again, they help. They respond um, exactly the same way. Um, and it becomes this everyday thing to the, the point where, um, you know, people dedicate their lives to taking care of these orphan children or to nursing these injured people back to health um, and burying those who've died. And uh, end of the story. There it is. So what's wrong with the story? This is the pop quiz. People are still dying. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to go with that one. Uh, uh, <laughs> what should they have done? Like, they're, they're generous. They're, they're compassionate. They're responding to, to hurt and, and needs. They're, you could even say they're loving. Oh, this is good, Dave. Beat up on us, man. What's that? <laughs> this is good. Yeah. Beat up on us. Yeah. 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 What oh, should they have done man. that they didn't do? Oh, my Lord. Oh, kind of along the lines of what Keith was thinking, maybe, like, inquire to what's going on. It's you know, take it a step further and not just do that, but hey, let's make sure this doesn't happen anymore and takes actions to do that. Yeah, context. Yeah. What did they, yeah, are, are they are they planning for what could happen in the near future? Yeah, yeah, you want to address it so it doesn't happen in the future, which I think is what you're getting at. So they do, what they don't do is they don't go up the river and figure out why. They don't address the underlying causes um, of the hurting. Okay. So there's a, uh, there's a Martin Luther King quote, and I have it written down, but I won't page through, but, um, he, you know, he talks about, like, you know, flinging, you know, addressing the hurt on Jericho Road, but at some point you got to address the fact that people keep getting beaten up on Jericho Road. Mm. Um, there's another quote by Dorothy Day, who founded Catholic Worker, which is this kind of communitarian approach to, to responding to to people who live in poverty. Um, and she says, you know, I had, I had read about the saints, you know, uh, who responded to the poor and responded to, you know, slaves. But she said, where were the saints trying to do away with slavery, trying to do away with the causes of it? So justice is kind of, in a way you could almost think of it as two sides of the coin. You know, love is responding to hurting, but sometimes the way the world is, is the source of hurting. Okay. So justice tries to address the way the world is. And I think it became probably a more prevalent approach in, in Catholic and Christian circles because you think about the last 500 years, you know, we've witnessed that the world can change. You know, um, 
I think I've said it before to you guys, but you know, there's that scene in Monty Python where they're, the, the, the peasants are imagining a, a syndico narcolism, anarchism, I'm sorry, and this better world. But it's, it's, it's funny, and the reality is, is probably at best they were hoping a mean king or queen died and they got a better one. But then you start moving into this period where people realize it, it doesn't have to be monarchy. Slavery doesn't have to exist. You know, sexism, you know, in its institutional forms doesn't have to exist. Yeah. And if we care about people, you know, yeah, we give them Tylenol. We respond to their hurting, but we also give them antibiotics. We also respond to the causes. Yeah. So that's kind of justice, you know, one way of defining it. Okay. Um, it's not all I do, but, you know, that's... That's, I think, how I, I think about justice and understand it. I like it. That's great. I like the going up the river analogy much better than where my Sunday night, almost Monday morning work brain was going, which was we have to apply lean manufacturing principles to use our fishbone diagram to get to root cause. Yeah. Oh, you might need to unpack that a little, Keith. <laughs> funny, funny historic note, you brought up uh, the stopping of slavery. When, uh, when the Catholics came to the New World, uh, the Pope actually did issue a dictate that they should not be enslaved by uh, the Spanish that were coming here. So that was actually, uh, yeah. So it obviously it, it didn't ring as true for some other peoples across America, <laughs> but but there was a dictate that went forward that said not to enslave the natives of the land. Well, and yeah. that there's actually an element of that history too, because that's uh, partly why. Texas became part of the United States because when it was part of Mexico, slavery wasn't legal, and a lot of people mm. who owned slaves were moving there. And so it's a you know a part of the history that maybe makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but you know it's an interesting thing to to be aware of. Yeah, you know? uh, I feel like there's a tendency, and I wonder if you see this like with your students. You can be so caught up in responding to the crisis, whatever the crisis may be that it's hard, it, it can be just hard to find, take that next step and see what's causing it or what's, you know, how, why does this keep happening? Why do we keep falling in the same ruts that keep allowing this to happen? But you keep doing the good thing and responding to crisis. So how do you break through? Yeah, I mean, I think if I could paraphrase what you said, this is hard, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, in the class, one of the things, you know, we, we kind of really look at the, the subject matter in a variety of ways, in an interreligious way, uh, scripturally looking at the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament, looking at the New Testament, the Gospels, um, and then, you know, kind of looking at Catholic social teaching as, a, as one approach to this. Um, but I think, you know, one thing that when we talk about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, we talk about how really the ideal is always right relationship, you know, and, and, you know, I think at its core in right relationship, both parties are respected and valued, um, which is messy. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I heard you saying that, Gummy, you know, the thought that came to mind is I think if you, you know, think about right relationship, it's, as you know, I don't know about you, Keith, but it sounded like, you know, you guys all are in relationship and you know it's continuous work. It's continuous yeah. effort. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like 
that idea of running the race. Right. So I think, you know, and we don't want that. You know, we don't want it to be hard, but it, it is. You know, it's hard to, to keep thinking about this stuff. You know, I, I often reflect on that. You know, what I, what I ask in my students is, is difficult. Um, mm. Unpack that. So what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think just, well, I think when, when we relate to things as difficult, we assume it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and Aaron maybe would be more of an expert on this than me, but, you know, like, what, well, Aaron, what's your favorite part of, like, the Rocky movies? Uh, for me... It's it's the the training of endurance because there's a there's a mental toughness that has to push you through. Um, it's one of the defining characteristics of a fighter versus uh, your average person is the fact that to forge ourselves, that's what we put ourselves through, so we can get to that ring and last through those rounds. And and without that, you can't be a fighter. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times people are like. Well, I was never a fighter, but I won a bunch of bar fights. Well, that doesn't tell us anything about you. <laughs> because did you put the rounds in? Did you do the conditioning? Did you, did you run the miles? Did you, did, I mean, so there's, there's all these components that make a fighter what a fighter is, right? There, there's there's the, all these intersecting points between conditioning and technique and, and, and endurance training. If you didn't do all of that and you're just winning bar fights, that doesn't tell, you, tell us who you are, right? So, so I think that's it, the journey through each one to see what he goes through to become who he is. Yeah. yeah. Who wins a bar fight? Though, really? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wins. Nobody actually wins a bar fight. Loser versus <laughs> loser. Right. Two losers Everyone's come out. Loses. You know, the person that gets knocked out, the person that knocks him out, everybody who witnessed it. Maybe an extra it. loser joins the fray in the middle. <laughs> Everyone loses in a bar fight. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the bartender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I were to answer that question, though, I, you know, a fighter has a certain trainer or that certain person hollering at you in those moments when you're fighting, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't get back up off this stool and keep fighting. You're going to get back up off this stool and we're going to keep fighting. Yeah. And, like, so this person knows what it takes to get this out of this person. And they understand that relationship. And yeah. So. Well, and I think that's, yeah, so it's, and I think both those two things go together. You know, it's mm-hmm. that, that capacity to keep struggling. You know, there's nobility in that, in, in the training, you know, the pushing yourself. But also to, it's done in community. You need people around you, yeah, you know, yeah, supporting yeah. you and encouraging you and challenging you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know even what one thing that comes to mind. Uh, there's a prayer attributed to Saint Ignatius called the Prayer for Generosity, where he says, you know, the prayer is to, that we can give without counting the cost, fight without heeding the wounds, toil without seeking for rest, labor without asking reward. And there are contexts where I think that prayer can be oppressive. I would say, but mm-hmm. generally, I think it's just saying, hey, you know, we this is not easy, and you know. And, and again, I think oftentimes religion can be very self-serving. You know, we use religion to justify ourselves, you know, I think um, to, to make us feel better than and above others. And, you know, that, you know, Christianity is right or Catholicism is right. 
you know, I'm Christian or I'm Catholic, therefore I'm right. You know, why am I right? Well, you know, that thinking has done enormous damage because it ends in rationalization, you know, versus this kind of like, you know, I, what I think of is really hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for rightness, you know, that as we talked about with Aaron, it's an uncomfortable state, you know, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe encouraging people to be okay with that, be okay with, you know, like embracing that, yeah, this is, it's worth struggling for a better world. Yeah. You know, it's wor worth existing kind of in a messy space, you know, yeah. um, because people are hurting and hopefully we don't want to contribute to it, you know? Right. Do you have an emphasis on the difference between, because sometimes I think people get, at least I know I did, and I'm speaking from my own experience, really being stuck with what's religious and what's spiritual. You know, I think often when you're, when you're stuck in the box, you know, that we grew up with, of religion, whatever it may be, you know, it's so much harder to, I think, find spirit, spiritual values. And they can, they can be related and they often can work together very well. But sometimes, you know, I think uh, having that spiritual mindset really could lend itself towards more social justice. I mean, I think it's, it shocks sometimes Christians to find that there are other people out there in the world doing the very same work they're doing and have no association with any church or any parish or any kind of major, even religion. It can be a little shocking, but yet they're doing the very same type of work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a component to that for sure. It's, uh, I, was, I was talking with my wife the other day because she had brought up, her and I are both from very uh, fundamentalist evangelical backgrounds, right? And... <laughs> <laughs> and and there there is there's there's a there's a a, a light and a, and a dark side to that right and the dark side to that is is that instead of just you know how they say love the sin but hate the sinner right mm. but the dark side of that is that you don't actually love the sinner right and you you see this judgmental attitude towards all the sinners and when something bad happens to him, it's bad, but it would have been worse if it was a believer, right? So it, there's, this, there's this slight judgmental side that goes with that. And one of those things I really appreciated coming over to the Catholic side is that it's, it's, it's not even present, right? It's like, no, no, a human life is a human life is a human life. It doesn't matter what... What if they're if they're a Hindu or an atheist or a, or a Buddhist or a a, Hind, a a life is a life is a life is a life, and um, that was really refreshing for me, you know, coming from those ideas and those backgrounds. And um, I mean, it, it, I don't mean to come down too hard on on the evangelical side mm. because there are many good uh, many good evangelicals that do think the same way. You know, Gumby being one of those. There's right? many Catholics who don't. <laughs> and there are many Catholics who don't. Yeah. But the teaching, the difference is the teaching is there for it, though. Um, in, for example, in the catechism, right? And if you go into the catechism itself, it talks about how people outside the faith can find salvation. I was taught growing up that anyone that doesn't believe goes to hell. 
Yeah, yeah. I was taught directly that, right? And yet the catechism directly says, no, anybody can, anybody can find salvation if they're earnest of heart and they're seeking. One of the things that keeps me Catholic is that Catholicism does have in its history the wiggle room out of fundamentalism <laughs> that isn't always as apparent. Even if many Catholics do fall into fundamentalism, it has that wiggle room. It has that. There can be a very wide spectrum that still is at least nominally tol- tolerated across Christendom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that was one of those beautiful things coming forward. And it, it helped to ease my mind quite a bit, especially coming from that harsher, judgmental upbringing I had. Right. Yeah. So, I, I, and I also lived out in the country. So let's be honest, <laughs> out in the country, everything's a little more judgmental. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I would say, though, like just, you know, and you mentioned I had written a book, which there's a whole story there. But um, but, you know, I mean, actually, I think it was Gumby's wife, as I recall, Jennifer Lopez. Right. The one and only. Jennifer Lopez changed my life, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I was just talking to her, and she was interested in the book, you know, because she saw me, I don't know if I was editing or whatever, and at a softball game, and, you know, then got to know, you know, Pastor Charlie and eventually Aaron. And, and so, I mean, I, I wonder if maybe there's a little more openness than we sometimes give credit for. Yeah. You know, in... Um, in, in, you know, the, those evangelical traditions. Yeah. Um, there is some. There is some. Yeah. And it's it's going to vary widely, right? Because there's, there's, a, there's, there's a less harsh view uh, on the more, more modern side, whereas there's, it's, a little more, it's a little more hardcore on the Reformed side. Hmm. You know, so there's, there's definitely a, a large margin there between the two sides. And I think even when you get down to individual people, like maybe this is conflating religion and politics, but they're often conflated in our society today. Um, you'll no. find that the like hardest line, like anti-social justice is really pushed by a small fraction of whatever that tradition is. Yeah. Like if you get down to rubber meets the road issues and you talk to people about them, they're not nearly as fundamentalist as maybe their religious leaders are or their most prominent activists who are in their religion and also lobbying our political bodies. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, you know, this is, I'm trying to think of like a really good example that relates more directly to social justice, but maybe like book bans are an interesting example right now that are very popular. And if you go into a community where there's book bans occurring, you'll find out it'll be like two, three, four, five people. It won't be the whole community being like, oh my gosh, this book is bad. It shouldn't be in our children's library. And, and you'll find that across all sorts of like hardcore like movements going against social justice, that it'll be an extremely small group of people at the top. And maybe there's a, a kind of you know, willing or half-willing accomplices below that that maybe you know, kind of keep that going. But a lot of people are like just trying to live their lives. And if they do see, like, they'll at least think maybe something's wrong if they see someone in pain. Mm. That's a good point. No, there is, yeah, that's valid. That's Quite valid. So two, two quick questions about your class. One, are your students required to take your class? And two, do you get pushback from, mm. you know, trying to teach social justice and, and what that means? Because, you know, I know they're at a certain developmental stage now within their own journey. But Yeah, um, I'm debating how, how far to go in I, okay, depth yeah, yeah. in explaining this, but... Um, 
Yes, number one, yes. All, all Walsh students have to take uh, the course social justice, Christian social justice, Catholic social teaching, Man, living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's kind of interchangeably referred to all those ways. Okay. Um, and actually, that's kind of where I start the class is, you know, establishing um, why, you know, at a Jesuit school, this is viewed as an essential class. A few years, probably 15 years back, uh, the bishops, the U.S. bishops kind of flexed their muscles and they mandated the first three years of the theology curriculum in Catholic schools. Mm. Um, it, it never seemed like it was, it stuck quite as strong in the West Coast, but like generally like east of the Mississippi, everyone was pretty much teaching the same, um, the same six classes. Okay. Um, if you want to look at it charitably, you know, it was just trying to have everybody on the same page. So if they transfer, you know, um, things like that, they can just fit right into another Catholic school. Uh, the other side would be they just didn't trust us to discern what, you know, you know what, what helps our students best. Okay. Um, but they did leave uh, a space in the fourth year for schools to decide are there things that make sense in the context of, you know, what they're about, where they're at. So, you know, as I mentioned, we're a Jesuit school. Jesuits are an order of Catholic priests uh, founded by St. Ignatius. Um, you maybe have heard of the Franciscans, you know, Benedictines. Uh, Martin Luther, I believe, was an Augustinian. Um, so what then I say is, okay, so why the Jesuit school? Do we, does this make sense? And uh, we have a document from a speech given 50 years ago in July, actually called the Men and Women for Others speech. It was given by the head of the Jesuits named Pedro Rupe, uh, 1973. Um, and he, he gave this speech to actually alums of Jesuit schools. Um, the expectation most likely was he's gonna tell them how proud he is of them and then ask them to give money. But instead he basically says, we failed you. Uh, because we haven't educated you for justice. Um, and he, wow. he says, going forward, our prime objective as Jesuit schools needs to be to form men and women for others. Um, and he, he says, you know, people who can't conceive of love of God that doesn't issue in love of neighbor, and people for whom uh, love of God that do doesn't exist or doesn't issue in justice is a farce. You know, um, because again, you know, kind of thinking of like the last judgment, you know, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, yeah. you know, if we don't care about hurting humanity, you know, based in scriptures, Jesus is saying like, that's how we show love to God, how we treat each other. Um, so anyways, so that speech though, I say that that's, and, and really that I kind of begin the class looking at that, looking at scriptures. You know, we do a whole humanistic thing showing all these different traditions where this ideal, you know, makes, makes sense. What, one thing I'll add to just giving a context to Arupe, um, he was actually at Hiroshima when the atomic bomb was dropped. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Also lived in Parma, Ohio for a year. Oh, wow. Fun wow. fact. Um, but he, uh, um, so he, he witnessed World War II, he saw that suffering up close and personal. Um, you know, the Holocaust 
occurred in a yeah. Christian country, you know, about half That's Catholic, true. half Protestant. Yeah. And so I think his recognition is was, you know, we can't just for, focus on orthodoxy, right belief. You know, we need to really, you know, emphasize that people coming through our schools live different, treat each other different. Um, also in the Catholic Church at this, that moment, there was a, a movement, really Vatican, in Vatican II, there was this process of resourcement, which was kind of going back to the sources and asking whether we're really being faithful to, you know, for example, scriptures. And so you go back to scriptures and you say, you see, you know, right off the bat, Luke, liberty to the oppressed, freedom to the captives. You know, it's right at the heart of scriptures. And, I, you know, I believe it's actually a Protestant biblical scholar, Walter Wink, who has this great line, you know, the weaponless victory of uh, Christianity over the Roman Empire was accompanied by the weaponless victory of the Roman Empire over Christianity. And I think unpacking that, sadly what happened is Christianity was put at the service of power. Yeah. And so, you know, divine right of kings, you know, Christianity was used to endorse dominating, controlling, oppressive power. And I think at this moment there was really a, the church was kind of, in that moment, willing to kind of reassess. And, and actually, a lot of that was happening parallel in a lot of Protestant traditions too. So it's kind of interesting when you read a lot of the scholars, they pretty interchangeably borrow, because um, good scholarship is good scholarship. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that I think, um, you know, is, so we emphasize the why of it, you know, um, and you get a little pushback, um, but, you know, I'm not the hardest teacher. <laughs> generally, you know, um, well, I, I my kids, my, you know, and I, I, I do kind of live with that, give respect, get respect. I actually really try, I think about what does a non-oppressive classroom look like? And I, I, I try to really respect students, and I think, you know, and they're seniors, so it's, there's a lot of space for them to dialogue and debate. It's true. I mean, this stuff, I don't have it all figured out, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes you get, you, you get stuff, but, you know, generally, I have a pretty good relationship with my students, and even if they disagree, I think, you know, it's, it's in a respectful way. Yeah. That's good. That's it's very good. Well, and I think the only way we grow, I think, is to is to be able to. Okay, so me being into fitness and stuff, I'll, I'll liken this to fitness, right? Uh, the only way we build muscle is through resistance training, right? So unless we have that resistance, we don't become better at what we're doing, and and that's what what makes us who we are and what we are. You know, I don't become stronger or more endurant or faster or none of that happens unless I have resistance. You know, I was uh, talking with one of my uh, students. Uh, it was two weeks ago. He said, I am not comfortable with talking to people about my faith because I'm afraid that it will, it will make me believe less. And I said, if that's the case, then you need to go through that struggle because by going through that, you should believe more. I said, my, my biggest growth has been in discussions with people from other religions and atheists because then it forces me to go back and, and re-examine my faith 
through those lenses to find those answers. When I find those answers, I now know more and I am more affirmed in what I believe. And now I understand more of what I believe. But until I go through that struggle, I don't get it. I don't have it, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that fear, especially the way our media is today, the fear of judgment and being quote-unquote canceled or... Exactly. Yeah, it could be a scary thing, especially if you're young and developing. <clears throat> you know, my kids, when they were in Lutheran West under Trump's presidency, and I'm not saying whether I'm right or left or whether I voted for him or not, Honestly, I'm so tired of pejorative terms, personally. <laughs> but, you know, at one rally that they were in, and, you know, my kids are like me. They're probably darker than me. The majority of the school isn't that way. I'll just say that. And they were chanting, build a wall at one of the rallies. And, you know, that was such an impactful moment for them because they're like, wait, what the heck? But then, you know... Like you said, once you get past that moment, it was, an, it was quite the experience. It was very eye-opening for everyone. Yeah. But is it like unprovoked, like random school assembly and they start chanting that? Or was there like a speaker that riled them up or something? Or? I really don't know much beyond that. I don't think so. because you're high school doing that? When um, Gio and Rebecca were talking to some of their friends and they started to unpack things a little bit more, they realized, oh, I'm only saying this because my parents watched this or my parents voted for this. Uh, this isn't truly something that I really believe or even know for that matter. Yeah, it, so, yeah, go ahead. Just, you know, you saying that brought me back to something you had asked earlier that we didn't really touch on, but mm -hmm. um, you were kind of talking about that difference between religion and spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, you know, I'm not sure how I want to say it, but, you know, the word religion literally means bind together, as I understand it. There's a way of interpreting diabolical from which Diablo, devil comes, throw apart, separate. And I think religion can operate with both spiritualities. It can be this reality that leads us to connection, that brings us together. But it can also be a reality that leads us to division, that feeds into that us and them thinking, you know. And, and I do think, you know, you're right, it's disappointing. And I think it was in a, often a lot of Catholics and Protestants who got fired up by that build a wall. But I think if we, we look at it, you know, what is going on there? It's group identity yeah. by othering, you know, mm. it's, it's scapegoating. Mm -hmm. There's actually ways of thinking about Jesus that kind of view him as the archetypal scapegoat, you know, the, the ultimate other. And so, you know, if you're an us and them thinker, if you devalue an other, you're faced with the fact that, you know, the one group you could safely other in the ancient world was people on the cross. Everyone knew they were bad. Mm. And so understood that way, it really, I think, um, you know, calls that thinking out but it is a reality that that spirituality does and it partially because it works too you know it's a it's yeah. it's it's an effective way of creating group identity but the end result is people are sacrificed people suffer um so you know i think like the, the last point I'll, I'll say with this you know thinking 
back to, to scriptures, one of the Hebrew scriptures kind of models of justice are the prophets. And there's a way of reflecting on the prophets as people who actually are calling their community to live their ideals because they believe their ideals are good for them. But their existence kind of indicates institutions don't always live their ideals. Mm -hmm. um, institutions fall into idolatry, you know? Um, you, know we've, you know, we're talking about Catholicism. I think you look at the sex abuse crisis. I think one way of thinking about that is, you know, institutional interests were placed first mm. and, and people were in the end sacrificed. So, um, so I think there's a challenge within religion yeah. for people to call out those parts of their religion that kind of create brokenness, create division. You know, there's, there's a reflection, I think it's by Paul Tillich, who's another Protestant theologian. Um, the reflection's called, I think you were accepted, but he, he gets into this idea that maybe the word sin comes from the root asunder, which means to separate. And so the ultimate thing to identify, you know, is these tendencies that exist in our traditions that feed into that ego part of us, that self-centered part that, that cause suffering to others. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Speaking about that, like, emotional, spiritual, like, gut reaction, that takes me back to you talking about, like, not looking upstream or not attacking root cause, like going for the gut instinct. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, it made, made me think early on about like, you know, there's, there's pretty well-established statistics that like LGBTQ folks are on average like X percent more likely to commit suicide. And um, in, if they're in a church, like often it's like even greater. I saw like a statistic that was like 30 to 55% additional risk of suicide if they're in a church that like doesn't, um, <laughs> you know, does, it doesn't really affirm them or like otherwise, you know, not ostracize them. Um, it made me think like that's that, um, you know, kind of like that self-servingness of religion or like, well, how many, let's see how I ask this. Like, so there's a certain group of people and I think they I don't know how many of them are, but they, they're at least loud on the internet, I'll tell you. And they say, Keyboard warriors. They, they think they are being charitable because they're saying, well, the root cause of that is their sin. If they didn't do that sin, they wouldn't, they, like that's clearly God's judgment on them, that they would be at that greater risk of self-harm because of their failure to adhere to their, to this person's perception of their religion's moral, you know, boundaries or whatever. And, um, I mean, I think, I think fundamentally that like, like exercises a, a lack of curiosity about what the root cause, because basically it's like, you know, shooting first and ask questions later. Um, and it's not even really based in like actual like research or introspection, but like your perception of the Bible or whatever. But like, I, I'm wondering like what, we say to them because you could say like oh if this is the way the truth and the life and if you are of the belief that this is like you know what the bible says or what the catechism says i mean the catechism probably says it clearer than the bible even like maybe that is a sense of being chari spirit yeah, charitable but like it sounds like a focus on social justice is a focus on practicality like a focus on like how is this person physically suffering in 
their body in themselves. Like, so like, how do we, how do we address, maybe that's my question, how do we address that person who thinks they are going after justice by going straight to what they perceive as the spiritual matter versus the physical need? Sorry, that was long-winded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very relevant topic, though, so, yeah. I, I'm I, sure you have, I have to talk a about variety that. of thoughts, but Gumby, do you have any? <laughs> oh, no, no, please, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, all right, which way do I go with this? There's like, there's like a lot of... Uh... Well, my, my general statement would be, you know, and this is where I feel like sometimes... Where I feel like, I'm guessing supposed to drink one of these. What, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, with the subject he brought up, uh, sometimes I think the word social justice, especially in our modern day uh, society, is getting a bad rap with fundamentalism. You know, they hear the word and all of a sudden they build walls, right? They, they hear the word social justice or they hear the word diversity or what, whatever their trigger words that trigger them automatically they start building these walls up. So there can be no true reconciliation, let alone relationship. So that's my general response to that. Um, sometimes I just don't think people want it on my side. That's what I would say to that. But. I mean, I, I would agree with that. I, like, I, don't, I don't have an answer necessarily of like how to, how to get past that impasse. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, I think that's just a challenge of our our moment, you know. Um, I mean, you, you there is a place for I guess you could you can try to address it theologically, you know, and maybe. Well, I mean, I guess to to connect it to direct experience, and I don't remember if it was Gumby or Aaron. And by the way, Aaron, thank you for bringing back another beer for us. <laughs> we'll, uh, second that. we'll introduce that after you're done. Okay. Um, but one of you guys asked, you know, do I ever get pushback? Mm -hmm. And it was not, I mean, occasionally for class-related stuff, but I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years and very, very rarely. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, um, I, I've occasionally gotten some concern and pushback because I, I uh, run our Gay-Straight Alliance. Mm -hmm. um, and how that came about is, Kind of interesting. I there there had been a as as I recall, and I mean this is probably over 15 years ago, uh, a suicide at a Catholic school and tied to some bullying and and issues mm -hmm. like that. And so uh, our principal asked me to be a part of a diocesan group. So again, I know you got a varied audience. Diocese is just like all the Catholic churches, kind of in maybe the Akron Cleveland area or you know it could be wherever you're from you know the Los Angeles area or the like ours you know, is downtown Cleveland right so it's you know maybe like 100 different churches that all are under the same same bishop so in our diocese there's maybe 15 16 catholic schools um, so i was asked to be a part of this group and it was called the pastoral care and concern group and it was you know, we would just get together and grapple with, you know, how can we make sure as schools, you know, we're not contributing to the, the hurt, you know, and, um, and you know, initially, and, and I, the thing that I would always at these meetings kind of suggest, but there was no clear answer. 
But I would say, you know, um, why don't we maybe have an LGBT alum come in and talk? You know, I said, one, it would affirm to any of our LGBT students that we know they exist. And, and at that moment especially, I mean, mm -hmm. I think the idea of people being closeted was the dominant reality, which, you know, I think it's like, in that reality, you can't ever actually be accepted. You know, like if, if, I, if I exist thinking, would you love me if, then I don't ever know that I'm loved or accepted. Um, so, you know, that was part of that moment. I said, you know, one, it would tell those students we know they exist. Um, and it would also remind any other students, because this was also the era where everything's gay and, you know, the desk is gay and, you know, like that was, and I used to tell them, like, just imagine, you know, like if every time, like I'm doing commons duty and like a, a chair collapses, they say, oh, that's so Mr. LaGuardia, you know, my name's Dave LaGuardia. I said, I'd start to feel sad, like if my name became, so I said, like, you know, can you be aware, like, of, yeah. of how, you know, it would maybe invite students to be more aware of how they're affecting mm -hmm. other people around them. Um, and we d did eventually do that, and that was kind of what the alliance came out of. But there was always kind of, even in the group, people were like, well, you couldn't do that. You know, the board would, your parent, you know, people wouldn't. So, you know, like, it... It was a real challenging um, thing, you know, and um, wow. in, in a lot of Catholic schools, you know, it's really hard to have, you know, an alliance. Um, yeah. But, you know, like that. Uh, yeah, that's so really. I'm not sure. I think that is somewhat relevant actually, to what you asked. So yeah. between the text and the subtext of what you said, I found two very clear answers. Okay. Um, I mean, Will they convince anybody? You know, we're, we're in, all in intractable positions, I guess, especially on the internet. But, so number one, when you said that, you know, like, that, that if there's conditions on your love, like, do you love that person at all? Like, that was a really clear statement. Um, but also what I heard just in kind of the, the tragedy you're addressing through these actions is like, if, if someone is so obsessed with evangelizing first before they address any other temporal concerns, you can't evangelize dead people. If, if someone is in harm's way, if, they are, if their life is at risk, if, if by the time they hear your message, the good parts of your message, they're dead, it does not matter. So it's really, it seems vitally important to be addressing these things that risk people's lives, liberty, happiness, um, you know, ability to function in this world um, before we obsess too much about the particulars of their theology. And just as one added consideration, you know, we, we the issue is like, I mean, you're right, people kind of get stuck on it, but, you know, maybe to connect it back to what you brought up, um, Gumby, with like, it's, it's, um, it's not a major theme in the scriptures. Yeah, yeah. It's just like hospitality to the strangers, like 40 of the 600 commandments. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah, not about homosexuality, about hospitality to the stranger. Like that's just what the story's about. And then we have Christians saying, build a wall while, you know, we can see images of people dying at the border. It's like, you know, like at what point are we just 
you know, like, I think sometimes that kind of fits in with our desire for that scapegoating religiosity that makes us feel righteous and above others. And, you know, but if you look really, the, the scripture is challenging to us. And I think that's where so often Catholic, Protestant, you know, we like the parts of religion that let us focus on what's wrong with, with everybody else. But, you know, even I, I, I mentioned that quote, which I know I've mentioned before, that Walter Wink one, but there was a group, and this is when we were all one, you know, the, in the early days of, of Christianity in the Roman Empire, where a lot of people were like, the empire's gonna ruin it. And so they ran and they lived in the desert. And they tried to live these holy lives. They were called the desert mothers and fathers. And people would, didn't leave them alone though, because the ones who stayed in the empire, they still kind of viewed them as good holy people. So they'd follow them out there and they're always asking them to, to cast judgment. And the common theme in so many of these stories with the desert mothers and fathers is, I got way more sins than I can deal with. Like, mm. you know, why are you coming and, you know, the, the more that people really try, the more they realize, you know, it's, it's hard, yeah, you know, and, it is. and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I think even to me, part of the issue is, is like, it's weird that it is something we get so stuck on, you know, right. when it's just not a dominant scriptural theme, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. One of the, especially in the Catholic context, one of the clobber kind of, not, you know, there's the clobber verses they talk about, like the, you know, five or six places where any kind of same-sex relationship is mentioned at all, even if it's a completely different context than what we consider modern relationships. But one of the, like the Catholic things is like, well, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is one of the four sins that cries out for vengeance from God. And you like read what the other sins are, and I can't remember them all, but like, it's like the pride, like it's like serious atrocities, like, or massive injustices. And then from the, the perception of someone arguing this, it's like, then gay stuff. And you're like, one of these things doesn't look at all like the others. <laughs> Join us in part two for the rest of the conversation.